The decision to become an artist, to pursue it as a career, is one that's inherently filled with all kinds of risk. You can't play it safe, even though that's kind of what we want to do many times. But for the disciple of Christ, it's knowing that God has called you and then stepping out in faith, trusting him to lead and guide you every step of the way. My guest on this episode knows all about these things and more, and he's going to share with us powerful insights into his journey with the Lord as a painter of the wild things. Howdy, disciples, and welcome to the Creator's Calling Podcast. My name is Kurt Madsen. I'm the host of the show. And on this episode, I have as my guest wildlife painter Greg Beecham. Greg is truly a master of his craft. And commensurate with that, he is also a consummate student, both of art and of learning from and of the Lord. Greg is on a joyful journey with Christ. And he throws caution to the wind in his pursuit of both. There's many things we're going to glean from Greg, so let's get going. Greg Beecham, welcome to the cast. Well, it's good to be here, Kurt. Thank you for inviting me. I was thinking about this the other day. This has had to have been back like around, I don't know, 05 or so. Wendy and I were up in Jackson Hall, and uh, we were at, we were in a little gallery in those days. And I can remember walking in to John DiTomaso's gallery because John was like, he, years ago, back in the mid-80s, he was the first guy that ever gave me a break and started showing my work uh, down in Old Town. And we walked in there, and he had your, some of your work in, uh, hanging up in there. And we thought, who is this guy? I think that was the first time I'd really seen your work before, and oh, it was my. so exciting. Wow. You know, it's kind of funny. There's a parallel there because I had just gone through a really rough go and trying to figure out how in the world I was going to make it. And uh, I had done some paintings in a day that seemed to get me in the direction I needed to go. And so I went up there and and, uh, Greg Fulton, who was running the gallery for John at the time, took me in and I did like a painting a day for six months, just trying to reinvigorate the career. So it's almost like he gave me the same reboot that you got. <laughs> so we can be <laughs> thankful for John DiCamasso. Boy, you know what? Isn't that the truth? He was said he's just a great guy. You know, it was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought I just think that's so interesting. You, your career has been so uh, impactful in in the wildlife world, and that. Uh, I'm really excited to just to hear all what your story is all about and that um, I just think there's just so much there. Let's start here. Give us a little bit about your personal background, like where you were raised, that kind of a thing. And then let's move into this, uh, where it all starts with the Lord and how you came to know him as your Lord and Savior. Okay, so um, my folks moved from western Colorado to New York State in the early 1950s so that my dad could uh, pursue a career in illustration and uh, he did not like city life so I was privileged to grow up in the country dairy farm country of the Mm -hmm. Hudson River Valley and uh, just being the son of an illustrator was uh, 
pretty cool. You know, we were all in, in a lot of his illustrations as he had the Polaroid <laughs> out posing us all the time for different things. And, uh, so, uh, but he also, you know, taught me to draw at an early age and, um, he also getting to the spiritual element. He led me to belief in Jesus Christ, uh, uh, unto eternal life when I was a little kid. And so, uh, I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, you know, I went through a whole lot of, uh, rebellion and and uh not walking with the lord and and to a point of you know just really getting desperate and at the point in time when i was in the navy and uh god used the uh lady the red cross lady of all people uh <laughs> to uh start a bible study where a bunch of us moron sailors got together and and we got uh restarted um in in terms of our our walk with the lord a couple guys got saved and uh you know and one of them uh, who got saved in that group, we've stayed close, and uh, he just retired as a surgeon down in Tucson, Arizona, and still walking with the Lord. And so, so that was a very um, important time in my life and the life of a couple other guys as well. Wow, that is so great. Isn't it great to have a history with somebody and to see them still walking with the Lord after all yeah. those years? Oh, that yeah. is so exciting. Yeah, it's cool. With your your dad legend hold roughly what, what was your age uh about the time you came to know lord initially i don't remember you know that uh, <laughs> probably eight or nine but i can't i can't remember and then you said you spent a time kind of away from the lord and well yeah then... yeah yeah things got real screwy in our household um my dad kind of got wacky theologically and started declaring that he didn't sin and using Romans seven and to justify uh, that and leaving my mom and, you know, six kids wow. for another woman. And, and, you know, my mom got real legalistic and it just was all a mess. And, uh, you know, dad's uh, dad was a great communicator and he, you know, he just was very persuasive. And so I sort of followed that a little bit, but it got to the point where, you know, just, it all was going nowhere and I needed, I needed some kind of anchor. And that was during my time in the Navy and uh, God provided it. Wow. Now, how did you come about uh, going, get, getting into this Bible study at that time? How did all that kind of happen? Um, I can't really remember this lady, the Red Cross lady was a very outgoing, uh, fun loving person. And, you know, she'd been to Vietnam and, and just, you know, she had experience in life and um, she just kind of said that she was living with her brother-in-law and, and her sister um, and in a place not too far from the Naval base. And, and somehow or another, she just said, we're starting a study and would you guys want to come? And, and so we did. And that kind of got things going. Oh, isn't that now? What was it? Was it just like at that particular moment did that you heard the Bible and he just really needed to move that direction? Was the Lord really drawing you then at that particular time? You know, time? It, was, it was more a point of desperation. I was driving hmm. along looking for retaining walls to run into and uh it was uh, it was like I needed it, and God just provided at that moment. And you know, this is almost fifty years ago, so it's hard to wow. remember details. Yeah, wow, that's you know what? Isn't it great though that the Lord opened that door, and then that you were soft enough to say, "Okay, I need to." This is something I really need to. Yeah, God has been gracious my whole life. Wow. Now, 
tell us about your dad. I didn't, I did not realize your dad was an illustrator. And so yeah. did you, did you move towards art uh, kind of naturally as a result of his influences in that? How did the Lord act, move you into art, first of all, and then wildlife specifically, you know, kind of where you're at now? Well, yeah, my, my entire family is artistic. Uh, you know, I've got a sister who's a potter. She's shown in the Smithsonian. Uh, it's, uh, it's been, you know, I think that there is talent. There's such a thing as talent. You could, you could equate that with sensitivity. And anyway, when I was probably about sixth grade, my dad sought me, taught, excuse me, sat me down and taught me to draw. And basically, it was just drawing shapes and measuring. And and uh, I, by the time we were done, I could draw photographically. And so um, I could take any photograph you had of an animal or whatever, and and I could make it look like it, like the photo. And mm -hmm. so it's been a function since then, really, of trying to understand art, what is art, and and uh, how to be creative, and instead of simply copy something. Um, so that's kind of the genesis of everything. And, and part of joining the Navy, other than to get away from a bad situation at home, was to give me time to really consider, is this what I want? And uh, mm -hmm. this is what I want to do. And so uh, once I got out and Lou and I got married and we went back and I, I studied with my dad in the summer of 1978 full time and, and, and launched a career in wildlife art, probably because... Even though Dad did everything as an illustrator, he he uh, did a lot of outdoor life magazine illustrations. And when we were kids, he would lay out the magazines because he and Bob Kuhn were uh, kind of worked at the same time in the in some of these magazines. And he would, you know, discuss Kuhn's uh, approach to composition versus his own approach to composition. And this is like I'm a kid and I didn't realize I was being schooled, but it was. And uh, so eventually when I started painting for myself, I sort of thought, you know, I like Kuhn's sense of design and I like my dad's sense of what he called orchestration and what would happen and how could we, could I take those concepts and bring them together and become my own uh, person as an artist. So, so it all started at an early age. Wow. You know, that's so interesting uh, that you were able to go and work with your dad and that he had uh, those types of influences and he was able to put that right into your, you know, really speak that into your life. Uh, yeah. He was very gracious. Yeah. He, uh, he was, very willing that summer to, uh, I, I went, I, we stayed with my mom and, and my wife worked with my mother and I would paint all day. And then once a week I'd go up to my dad's place about an hour North and he would critique. And that's, that's how I got started. That's, I love that on two levels. Uh, it's so great whenever you hear about a parent, mom or dad, both, and they sit down and tell their kids the gospel. They're just doing exactly what scripture says, you know, and keeping mm -hmm. it uh, to draw people, to draw at a young age to the Lord. But mm -hmm. then to have him as a mentor is just, you know, it's one of those things that just sort of one follows the other. Love that, that your dad was doing that uh, in your life. Yeah. I think that one thing too is, you know, in hindsight, uh, there's been a number of people who have been gracious in terms of, uh, you know, critique or whatever. And and so I think you probably experience the same thing where you have this sense of uh, obligation 
to give back a little bit, you know, with other, Mm -hmm. you know, younger artists and, you know, share that knowledge and uh, help them get their start as well. So that's, that was an influence that dad had on me. Yeah. It's really, it's a, it's a great part of your story. Now, as you uh, came back to the Lord and you're going to this Bible study and that, you know, we all face different challenges. Were there challenges, things that you were difficult to come back to the Lord with? And how did you face those challenges or things that caused you to question your faith or were there unanswered questions that you needed to have dealt with? I think, um, you know, I, then the concept of spiritual gifts, uh, I do believe that, you know, each of us has a fundamental gift. And uh, I think mine is probably that of teaching. Mm-hmm. And I've read, you know, it, a lot of people write on this fear of spiritual gift stuff. But one of the elements uh, or things that are consistent with that gift is the idea of questioning. You know, when you read something, who is this person? What's their background? You know, why are they saying what they're saying? What does the word say about it? How, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think that's why kind of been uh, part of my under, you know, development, I guess, is, is, you know, not taking everything I hear. I mean, I've been, I went through a bunch of iterations, you know, my landlord, when we, I was in college, used to take me to a full gospel businessmen's meetings. And, you know, I ended up kind of dismissing some of that, uh, what they were up to, you know, cause they felt like, you know, we were going to take over the country and the world and all that with Christianity. And, you know, and, and so I, I ended up questioning things and I always have. Um, and I think going to the word and trying to figure out what did the author mean by what he wrote is is part of my makeup as a teacher, I guess. And uh, so that's always been there throughout ever since I regrouped and, and got right with God. Mm, that's so good. You hear different things, and then people don't, you know, it goes back to Acts 17, 11, and all about the Bereans were more noble than the yeah. Thessalonians, right? And being right. able to be a good Berean like that. It is. And I mean, you know, you go on Facebook or some type thing, and somebody writes something about the Lord, and all of a sudden you got a hundred different people saying different things, some critical, some amen. And then, and it's like, where, what in the world? Everybody has got their own (laughs) ideas. And so it's like, what does God say about this? And so, yeah, I'm with you on that. We need to be good Bereans. What you said there was so important in terms of asking good questions about what's written and or what you hear, whatever it happens to be. Give us a little bit of your process. When you're looking at a piece of Scripture, how is it that you go about drawing out what the author, whether it's Paul, whether it's the Gospels, or the Old, Old Testament prophets, whatever it happens to be, drawing the meaning out? What's a bit of your process on how that works? Well, I think just what I said a minute ago is the primary, and that is what did the author mean by what he wrote? And so how do we get there from here? And we first ask who wrote it, um, who did he write it to, when did he write it, and why did he write it? And so most of Scripture, or in fact, all of it, if you ask those questions, you find that there is a predominant theme in most of the writing, and so... Um, you look at each passage, you don't rip it out and, and add it to your theology just as a statement. You ask, what's the context in which this is written? And what was the author trying to get at big picture? And so mm. that's that's how I approach 
and I have to say, I'm, I, I do in some ways regret never having studied language, you know, ancient Hebrew and Greek and that sort of thing. Although I'm, I'm sure I'd screw it up because I would anyway, but <laughs> I, it's, it's debilitating when you're trying to answer those questions. And so then, you know, and, and commentaries, different commentators, different in their, differ in their theology. So I find it all a little bit difficult because sometimes it feels like this should not be that hard. And yet theology over the centuries has, there's so many different ones out there that are saying one thing versus another that it, it's made it more difficult than it's supposed to be. And uh, so yeah, that's a little frustrating for me. <laughs> well, and you're you're sure right about that. But you, what you said is really critical: is being able to look at those contexts and asking those questions, so that you can kind of drill down to what they meant to that audience at that time yeah. and what they actually are applying it to. Um, well, I think what you just suggested there's another important element, and that is recognizing that these authors were writing, although all scripture is God breathed, they were writing to a particular culture. And uh, so we have to take that into context as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's uh, Those are really great, though. And it's such an encouragement for all of us to hear your perspectives on that. Because, you know, so like you said, especially nowadays, oh, good grief, it's, you know, you go on the web and it's, you know, there's an old saying, you know, you ask them one, you ask three people an opinion and you get, or ask what they think, you get six opinions, you know. Yeah, it's, right. It's sort of like that, except exponentially larger. And being yeah. able to discern those things is so difficult at times. Yeah, I think sure. ultimately we have to just say God is so gracious because as one pastor used to say, when we get there, God is never going to tell any of us, congratulations, you got it all right. <laughs> <laughs> God is God is gracious, and and uh, th you know it's the all these things that people think. Sometimes I just wish they wouldn't be so absolutist on things that aren't necessarily absolute in Scripture. But at the same time, we just gotta give each other a break and say, "That's my brother. That's my sister." One of the things in terms of spiritual disciplines for you to grow in your relationship with the Lord, things that are important. I think uh, one thing is coming to the realization of how much God hates sin mm. and that overcoming besetting sin is an extremely important thing. And that's something I've had to deal with in life. Uh, not really interested in going to too much detail on all that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's important as a, and, and just um, uh, training one's mind, training my mind to, uh, to lose the vain imaginings, which I'm so, uh, prone to do is just my imagination starts going off on all these things. And, and it's like, as soon as, you know, I think, uh Oh, you know, and I recognize that I'm not, that's, that's not from God. I stop and pray. And even though part of me really wants to keep going on this great story, I'm, I'm living out in my imagination. I just, no, <laughs> I can't go there. That is not from God and just start praying. And so that's mm. something that I'm working on. I wish I didn't have that problem, but it's one of them I, I do. Another discipline, I, I don't even consider it a discipline. I consider it food, and that is just every morning when I get up, I go and get my Bible out. I read a passage in the Old Testament and a passage in the New, 
Um, sometimes I have my commentaries there when I'm confused about something and, and I just, you know, being self-employed, I have the opportunity if I need to take a little longer than at other times to just kind of say, I need to understand this before I go on and then mm -hmm. spending time in prayer. Um, I just, uh, since, uh, since my heart attack, since knowing that I should be dead, I keep thinking, what is my purpose of being here? And one of those I feel like is definitely praying for my kids and grandkids. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I make sure I spend time in prayer um, and before heading off to work. So, so that, you know, you could call it a spiritual discipline, but to me, it's like life and death. I got to do it. Yeah. Well, that's, I'll tell you, you're sure right about that. Uh, it's so important. We've got to get fed. And, uh, that, you know, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And boy, Amen. it yeah. is it is really critical. Now, tell us about these heart attacks and how did those, you know, you're talking about your, your purpose here, what, how that those things kind of have come worked in your life. Okay, well, <laughs> back in 2011, um, my wife and I, in early 2011, decided we were going to start eating better. So we, you know, started doing the old just shop on the outside of the grocery store, no processed foods. Um, and my cholesterol dropped some. I never had real high cholesterol anyway. But the most important thing I did is I started mountain biking. And uh, I couldn't figure out why it hurts so badly. I'd been, you know, I'd been running and doing exercise all my life. And although I ate too much, no question. And, um, but I'd be going up this hill. We live at 7,300 feet in elevation and I'd go up over 8,000 on this big loop. And oh, wow. I just, I just, it was so hard. Certain points I couldn't get my breath and I couldn't figure out why. But then that August I had a heart attack and, uh, come wow. to find out I, I should have been dead. The both right and left descending arteries were totally closed. That's everybody dies from that. Wow. And, um, but by God's grace, he didn't kill me during the effort, <laughs> but rather I, my heart built this giant collateral artery around my heart. So there wasn't even any damage to the heart on the first one. And, um, because of this collateral artery built from that effort of mountain biking up the mountain. So, um, so then, uh, you know, just a year and a half later in 2013, I had a second and that one did damage my heart. There's a pretty good section of it that's dead now. But uh, anyway, um, it's one of those things where I, you know, what is my purpose now? That's the big question. Why am I still mm -hmm. here? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when so many there is like two other people I knew at that time that had heart attacks and they both died. And I've seen that over and over again. It's like it's not science, but it's like three people have heart attacks two die. And so I realized how serious it was. Mm -hmm. And so you keep asking, you know, why did you leave me here, God? What you know, and uh, I I haven't completely answered that. I I just feel like I gotta do what I I'm I've been given to do, which is paint pictures and, uh, you know, love mm -hmm. my wife and pray for my kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what else, it, you know, there's nothing profound in terms of why I'm here, but, uh, and also don't do anything really dreadful. Like, you know, Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, you know, oh, yeah. after he was given a 10 year extension. And so, you know, I just pray that God would take me before I do anything dreadful. 
<laughs> well, you know, that I think that that's so important what you just said, though. And, you know, I'm no doubt it's a bit of an ongoing thing, too, because, you know, the Lord's going to reveal things as you go along over the years, because there's going to be things happen that that's what you were put here for, too. And there was this and there was this, you know. But yeah. uh, I think that that's so important. And what you said there in terms of being able to your wife, pray for your family, perform your calling, all of that is so uh it's part of the lord making using you as that you know jar of clay here to make an impact in this world for him yeah i think you're right um and he has blessed my career in ways where you know i've been given a voice and um you know i i don't think anything's been totally profound with it but nevertheless there is this respect factor where people are willing to listen and yeah. so, you know, I don't hit anybody over the head with the gospel, you know, but in a workshop, I feel like even though uh, these people have paid good money to hear about art, I, you know, who I am as an artist, which includes my faith big time, uh, is important enough so that I can, I can say this is from the Lord as I'm mm -hmm. doing a demonstration or something like that, you know, and, and try mm -hmm. to do it in a way that is, um, you know, doesn't drive them out of the room because they disagree, but just, you know, this is who I am as an artist kind of deal. Yeah. And there, I'll tell you, I don't think there's anything more powerful than somebody who is just, just because just you are, what you just said was so critical, who you are, you're yeah. a follower of Christ and you just put it out there because that's who you are. And yeah. that, ge yeah. that genuineness, the Lord is really, uh, he's going to use that to his glory. I love yeah. how you, how you phrase that, Greg. Um, it's not about hitting him over the head. It's about being who you are and also being bold in terms of whenever the Lord gives you a word to say, no matter what the context is, you just put it out there and just move on because it's not up to us what's going to happen with it. You know, it's up to him. Yeah, you're right. Now, tell us a little bit this. What's something that has really surprised you about having a career as an artist? Well, uh <laughs> What surprised me is how long it took to make it make a living at it. I mean, had I known that it was going to be 44 years in before things really started going really, really well, I don't know if I could have done it because there was a lot of heartache along the way. And mm. uh, so I, I think that was a surprise. Um, just uh, the fact that uh, it's a journey, you know, it's not a destination, um, that uh, it's never ending and, and the idea of staying passionate about learning uh, needs to be a part of it, even when you've had over 40 years experience. And I'm working on a wild horse fighting piece right now. And, and sometimes, you know, you as a sculptor don't have to sweat it too much, but if you have the slab side of a horse that's all in sunlight, there's not a whole lot of structure to deal with. And, and yet using color and some value shifts, creating that structure, you know, I learned some things this week. And uh, so it was kind of cool that uh, um, it was a challenge that I didn't necessarily set up for myself, but it was there. <laughs> and so um, that was good, you know, and, and hopefully I'll be able to apply it later. Yeah, that's you know that's great. I love your you just get on fire when you when you're talking about that, and it's just great. Uh, after it's, like you said, after a long career, and then every you're always learning something new. You've had a long career. Now you had those times of discouragement. What are some things? How have you handled 
uh, moments of discouragement in your life? How's the Lord kick taking you through those things? Um, well, it's been depressing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I remember uh, um, calling a gallery one time in a time of just real desperation. Uh, I needed some kind of encouragement. And uh, it was a gallery that my dad had been with. And I just, I I had to find a way. And, and the guy was just so abrupt and, and rude and just no, no, no. And, uh, you know, I, I hung up the phone and just cried my eyes out i mean it was you know these things are painful and every artist goes through them you know and you know making it as an artist is so hard and artists are some of the most sensitive people on earth that it's it's kind of a painful pursuit it really Mm -hmm. is and uh so how you deal with it is you know you don't quit i don't know how else to say it um you know, sometimes you aren't going to make it. Sometimes um, you think you have more talent than you do, and you have to be realistic about that. But uh, if if it's what you're supposed to do, you just simply go back and get at it again and uh, and just pray and trust that God will open a door somewhere. And, and that's what he did for me. Hmm. It's, you know, it's so good what you said, uh, because it does, you really do have to uh, have that person. To, to stick through this. And, well, that's uh, the truth. Yeah. And you also have to continually say, I'm not that good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I need to figure out how to get to my next level. And so that is the continual pursuit. And that's when I teach a workshop with each individual in the workshop. I My goal for that week or whatever it is, is to help each individual get to his or her own next level. And so that's that's the constant pursuit. That boy, what a great mindset to go into uh, at a workshop, because it's uh, that's what that's what they're there for, and uh, to be able to be a part of that, what a blessing that is, and to know that you that's your goal. Sort of wears you out, though. <laughs> yeah, boy, I know. I've taught, uh, I've done four or five workshops, four I think, and uh, I tell you, it does. But like you said, the flip side of it is that you get to see these guys, you're being able to pass that on and being able to grow them in some way, hopefully. Yeah. And I'm sort of changing because I I have to admit that usually there's one or two in the workshop out of 15 or so who are really intent on growing. And a lot of them are just, I, you know, get to brag about, I took so it's a workshop from so-and-so and and they're not that interested in improving. And they're, you know, and I have to, you have to, at a workshop, you got to pay attention to everybody. They all spent their money, you know, and, and uh, they deserve it. So I'm sort of transitioning now into kind of uh, picking and choosing and mentoring people in my studio instead of workshop format and, uh, you know, spending a couple of days with them and, and uh, intense where I know that they are ready and I'm not wasting my time and I don't charge anything. And, and so I've sort of been doing that the past couple of years a little bit. And, um, and so it, I think that may end up being a better way to go. And I also know that, you know, I was always too bashful to go to some artists that I would love to have been mentored by and, and, you know, ask them. And, and I know a lot of artists will do that, but I'm sort of <laughs> hoping that God will direct me to those who would have been like me and, and maybe save them some time because it is, it was 25 years before I actually started having some su- real success. And, 
I, I think that could have been shortened had I had, you know, the wherewithal to, to have met with someone I appreciated and was willing to mentor me. And I just, that just never happened. You know, I'm grateful for what, you know, what I learned from my dad, but that was just kind of the beginning. And so most of what I learned since then has been out of books and just picking up tidbits, uh, you know, Robert Bateman gave a talk one time, and the one thing I took away from that was uh, you can only have one soloist in the orchestra at a time. Okay, boom that <laughs> that that's that's added to my repertoire. I got Bob Kuhn to to uh, critique my work one time. He's very reluctant, but he did it. And the one tidbit I took from that was go have fun with paint. It took me 20 years to figure out how to begin doing that. But nevertheless, it's always been there. Um, just out of Schmidt's a la prima, every arc is a series of angles. You know, there's a whole bunch out of that book. But anyway, you know, so my education since my dad has simply been picking pieces out, just uh, looking at George Carlson's artwork and saying, okay, he's his his idea of composition is focal point emanating from mass yet remaining part of a mass. And how can I apply that to paint? You know, so it's just adding piece by piece to the repertoire. And so that's been my education. I don't know how I got up on that. But. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, that's so interesting because uh, not uh, to see your trajectory and the fact that you were able to, uh, in spite of, you know, because it is, you don't always have the mentors, like you said, and that you were be able to pull things out of what you were given, you were able to uh, really put to good, good use. I think that's an important point. Um, I had one student one time say, you know, she took two different workshops from me about five years apart. And she says, what have you told me on that first workshop? I had no idea what you were talking about. And then when I took it again, it all of a sudden became clear when you said it again. And, mm. and so it was like, you have a foundation point, which my dad gave me from which a lot of this stuff could make sense. And mm. so I, I really appreciate what he gave me uh, from that perspective. Yeah. That is that so interesting? Um, I love he hearing these stories because you just see this piece, but this piece, and it, you can see the the uh, the journey that every artist goes on, and they're all so different. And yeah, that's is, for sure. Yeah, it's it's, oh, it's an amazing thing if you just sat down and listened to ten different artists tell of their journey. Yes, that's absolutely right. And when you have the Lord involved in it. And you yeah. get to see, you know, he's dealt with this guy so much different than with this gal. And they were, he's so individual and so caring. Yeah, he's the he god of the individual. You're right. That's awesome. It is. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Now, I have a question for you. Why is it important for Christians to be engaged in the world through the arts? Well, I think that um, it's a reflection of the great artist himself who spoke the universe into existence. Mm. Um, I was snorkeling in Hawaii one time, and I'm looking at the fish. And there's every color under the rainbow, every shape and every size. And I'm thinking, he didn't have to do this. You know, yeah. he could have made one gray little thing, and it would have done the same function. But he just had a blast creating beauty. 
And mm. um, so we are image bearers of the Most High God when we choose to use material, because we're not God. We use material to make things in a creative way, and we use that talent and sensitivity that he's given us to do that. We're honoring and glorifying God. Now, I would say this. I believe that the non-believer is honoring and glorifying God in their creativity, even though they don't know it, simply because they're created in his image. Mm. But for the Christian, I think being intentional about it um, is important, both to honor God and also to create the platform, you know, to to speak Christ into people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of these people that are our fellow artists, you know, as well as I do, are never going to set foot in the church. Um, yeah. You know, they're never going to read the word. And so who do they have? And if you don't pursue excellence, um, if I mean, I'd say there's a lot of Christian artists who just simply don't have it, obviously, um, artistically. But I think that we need to pursue excellence and create a respect level upon which we have opportunity to speak. And I, you know, I don't want to, you know, toot my own horn or anything like that, but I sort of go into it with that motivation. I think pursuing excellence, and then that's that does give you the voice. It gives you the open doors, the opportunities to be able to share Christ instead of accepting mediocrity or accepting, uh, you know, because everyone's going to be at different levels, like you said, in terms of of, uh, abilities and that, but just pursuing the excellence with intention. That is so key. Yeah. I mean, there's been students of mine who, you know, I've talked to since, you know, we've studied together and that sort of thing who have a lot of potential and they talk about their struggle and everything. And, and I'm seeing things that I critique on and I just tell them, do the hard thing, you know, never, Mm -hmm. ever shirk doing the hard thing. Yeah. Oh, that's tell you, that's such good wisdom because that's what, so often and that's well why. i mean i do i mess i hedge sometimes too i'm not you know yeah. saying i'm all yeah, there yeah. but that's the that's the goal do the hard thing yeah that's right i'm gonna have to write that down um because that's i i can do the same thing yeah especially i think in the, with the way the world is today ease has become expected and well, you nothing. look at these shows on TV with the singing and stuff, and and as people, this is, I want this more than anything in life, you know. And it's like, well, you know, if you have the gift at all, then pay your dues, you know. Don't yeah. tell me how bad you want it because that's really meaningless. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're not entitled, you know. We we're not victims. Uh, you, you do what you have to do, and that is, you know, go full bore. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That that leads into something I really am interested to hear your perspective on, and that is longevity and how. What's the mindset to have? The Lord's called us into this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of things that uh, can certainly get in the way, but if we want to go for the long haul in the calling that the Lord has for us, what are some things that you think are really important so that you have a 44 year career? or longer like you've had? Well, I've always felt like it takes three things. It takes talent, opportunity, and drive or passion. 
And I've been blessed. My wife is so good. She's always been a hard, hard worker and she made a good living. And uh, so during the times when I really desperately wanted to contribute, but I simply was not, she never ever said, why don't you go get a job or anything like that? She just realized this was the calling, I guess, and, and um, allowed me to pursue. And so, so opportunity ends up being one of those big factors and not everybody has the same opportunity. Um, you know, I've got a friend who is the UPS driver and, and uh, so, and he's got kids. So his opportunity is a little more limited than mine was, but he's still doing great art and pursuing it. And so uh I think the passion has to be maintained. I think my brother could have been the best artist of all the six of us kids, but uh, when he had the opportunity, he was revealing an incredible talent, but he didn't have the passion. So, mm. you know, he never did it. And that's, that's okay. He had a great career and that's fine. But uh, so it takes those three things. And then just, I think that, uh, you really do need to stay in tune with the Lord because you kept, you keep saying it's a calling and that's, you know, that, that word has meaning and because the calling has to come from God. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so that's an important element too, is recognizing, is this the calling God has for you? Because it's just too hard otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the truth, and I I love that. That's, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I know well. It is, and you know, it's yeah. just what you said. So many things, and they just resonate. To have I love how you've broken this down to talent, opportunity, drive, and that those fundamentals have to be there in the long haul. That are yeah, required. yeah, yeah. So, how long, Kurt, have you been in the hall? It's well, nineteen eighty three. Oh years. man, yeah. Oh my goodness, good for you. So it's. It's uh, it, it, all of those components, everything that you've said, I, I, it just, your, your life kind of flashes before you time, yeah. at times. So some of the stuff you're going, oh, man, I, I know that, you know. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, you mentioned what you tell, what you should t- say to people. And, and you know as well as I do that there's some dues paying to be done. And, uh, yeah. you know, some, some people can make it big right out of college or whatever and more power to them. I'm happy for them. But uh, for a lot of us, it's 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 not an easy road. Yeah, and that's something that uh, so, uh, so many people don't don't get a hold of early on, and yeah. it's sort of presented. And I'll tell you the other thing that is interesting in the context of all of this, and that that is that well, if you're uh, you know you're doing good art, you don't have to do anything. It's just going to go out and sell itself. And there's so much more to it in terms of the yeah. business than that. Than that. Yeah, I wish I was a better businessman. I'm not, and uh, but you're absolutely right. And and just finding the niche uh, in terms of marketing, that sort of thing. And there again, um, you know, a lot of prayer and yes. uh, also just uh, being smart about what you're doing. Where is there a market for what you're doing? Um, you know, and I hate to be crass and commercial, but but if there is no market, then you know, count the cost and either be poor or figure something else out. Yeah. And that's, but you know, that you, I think you're, that's being really realistic. And too many times we don't even want to talk about those things. I think so. And I think that uh, one thing that um, a friend of mine once wrote on his blog is that your goal to impress or bless. And it, as yes. a Christian, 
it's an idea of is what I'm doing a blessing to people. And I think yes. that, that fits right in line with what you're talking about there. And uh, so it is neat when you find out that it does. And I'm, of course, not everybody. Everybody's got their taste in art, blah, blah, blah. But to, to find out that there are people who are blessed by what you do is, is really invigorating and encouraging. Yeah, I love that saying. Are you into oppress or to bless? Boy, that talk about convicting. It's like, oh, good grief. Oh, yeah. That'll... I'm totally convicted because I'm so needy. <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want people to be impressed. <laughs> oh, man. I feel your pain, Greg. I feel your pain. <laughs> wow. I love that. You know, as we go through all of this, being an artist, walking with the Lord, all of that. Um, what are the, some of the things that we can do uh, to be able to minister to others, do you think? Are uh, you talking about other artists? Other artists in particular, but then it can even branch over because sometimes it's those clients that come in or that, you know, that collector that comes into the show and there's opportunity that opens up. Yeah, I don't know that I'm very good at that. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> at some point, just being kind is a big deal, mm -hmm. um, and and valuing them as a person. Um, you know, if it's an artist who's struggling, just uh, help them know that uh, you know this is this is part of the deal, and you know, make being a Christian doesn't absolve you from going through mm -hmm. the, those issues. And that, uh, you know, you've experienced it, you know, the pain, you know, that you don't know their story necessarily, but that there's, there's uh, light on the other side. You don't, you don't get to go around it, but you can make it through it. Mm, that's excellent. Boy, that's uh, somebody needed to hear that very thing. Well, it's a little uh, cliche, but I mean, it is the truth. <laughs> it is. And, yeah. you know, those things, they become cliches because of a, re of a reason, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, oh, man, I needed to hear that right now. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. was great. Now, switching gears here, we'll kind of go to some, to some of your process artistically. When you look at a painting, when you're looking for subjects, what are some of the things that you find uh, compelling in, your su in a subject? Well, um, being a wildlife artist, I... I really like good gestures i uh again back to the cliche i don't really care for the the cliche elk bugling on a hillside with some cows in the background blah 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 um you know that's fine and it gets done but i like to go out and let the animal tell me let oh. let the animal speak um you know in the habitat and the whole thing you know whether it's atmosphere uh you know whether it's habitat whether it's time of year, whatever, just let the animal tell me what to paint. And, uh, you know, Tolstoy in his essay, What is Art, said that a work of art should say something new. And I have, I feel that a wildlife artist of all people should never break that rule because if you're mm. out with the animals, just like, you know, I go out every year to the buffalo rut. We were out yesterday and I'm just trying to let them speak and, and, a little bit of what they were speaking was just kind of cool stuff like, 
a, a dust bowl on the hillside where they're kind of half standing, half laying and rubbing their head in the sage and stuff. And it's like, whoa, this is cool. How can I create <laughs> something out of that rather than just, you know, the big bad bull being tough, you know? And, and so it's just uh, artistically, I think when I allow the animal to tell me things, I end up doing my best work. I think that's so interesting. Uh, what I think I'm thinking as you're describing all that, I'm thinking about the pieces that you do. And they have that there is there's a very unique vision that you give us that uh, is not being given anywhere else, at least not that I'm aware of. I'm, I know I'm more limited in terms of my purview of the wildlife art. But right. you you really have a unique perspective to offer with each painting. I'll never forget one of the paintings we saw, I forget how many years ago, but it was, uh, it was a, uh, a wolf kill of some kind. I can't remember now the details. I'll remember there was a lot of blood and skeleton and, and oh, know, yeah. stuff like that. in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody would paint. But yeah. That was... I, and they don't all sell. Um, you know, it's, I, sometimes you just got to do it. The one artist friend calls them my guts paintings, but you know, <laughs> that's part of nature. And, and, uh, yeah. so, you know, we were driving by this one spot up in Hayden Valley yesterday. And I told my wife, that's the very spot where there was a cow elk laying dead in about six inches of water there. And two wolves were laying up on the, in the sage. And I just sat there for hours waiting for something to happen. And finally one of the wolves came down and, and flopped that, full-grown cow elk around like a rag doll and then they both took off and i could see them out hunting other elk in the distance and but it's like that became a painting and uh just that one wolf coming out to that elk and you know i added little blood and stuff onto it to make it <laughs> colorful <laughs> but uh but it's just being out there and and uh so part of what i'm doing in this whole mentor thing i've been telling you about or told you about earlier is mm -hmm. taking these people out with me and i'm doing it in early august most of the time to take them to the buffalo and you know i took a young lady who goes to a christian college uh last year and made her dad come too because you know i don't have a woman in my studio alone with me mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um you know, she's out hearing the sounds of these animals roaring and recognizing, you know, we kind of got in a little bit of trouble because they turned differently than we thought they were. And we jumped into the back of somebody's pickup to get up to our own because we were surrounded. And and so I looked at her eventually, you know, I'm, I, I could easily be one of these bad statistics, but um, and I'm trying to be better. But uh, I said, now you know why you need to be out here. Now you know why you can't just use other people's photographs. You have to be out here. You don't get those sounds. You don't get the feel. You don't get the brute majesty of these incredible uh, beasts without being here. And so, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's just part of the deal for me is, and it's, I love it more than almost anything is being out with the animals. I, boy, that was a great story. There's two reasons that's great. First of all, that you don't want to be one of the statistics, but you're, you're out there pushing the edge. But the second thing is that I love how you have a female student and you make sure that everything's real clean in terms of all that. That is so good, Greg. I love that. Well, we got to do that, you know. And we do. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm not going to be political here, but I know Mike Pence, when he was vice president, got ridiculed for doing that same thing. But mm -hmm. I respected that. Yeah. No, it's dead on right. That's a that's a great, that's a purely biblical way to handle things. I love that you shared that. That's just super.
Uh, when you talk about just solid painting in terms of design, what are some of the things that are components for a good painting for you? Um, well, I, I kind of came up with a phrase while I was laying in the hospital with my second heart attack, trying to figure out who I was back in 2013. The idea of each piece I'm seeking unity in the context of simplicity and beauty. And so I want beautiful shapes, small shapes to big shapes, but it all, I all, I want, you know, the tools of the trade for a painter it, you know, everybody's got their list, but my list is color, value, texture, edges, drawing, and composition. And so all of those tools have to be worked, uh, developed in unity with one another uh, in terms of putting the whole piece together. So the color harmony I'm working with and the sky in the upper right has to work and the shapes I'm dealing with may end up being repeated in terms of both color and shape uh, down in another section, say in the, in the focal point or something to create that unity. And uh, so I, that's what I'm looking for as I paint is the idea of unity in the context of simplicity and beauty. And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. One of the things I'm always aware of in painting is I feel like we're magicians to a certain extent in that we're creating the illusion of mass, weight, and volume on a two-dimensional surface. So mm -hmm. that idea mixed in with the other, unity and context of simplicity and beauty are, are the primary elements I'm thinking of. And then just exciting imagery, um, you know, the, the idea of uh, Apple, or excuse me, Dionysian active quality of thrust counter thrust, creating a good active composition. I'm more of a Dionysian artist than Apollonian, which is the staid, stoic, um, you know, geometric shapes, uh, you know, verticals and horizontals, uh, mm. you know, um, you know, Michelangelo's David. There's a lot of great artists who pursue that direction, but I kind of like the the active thrust counter thrust create tension kind of a design. And you do too. I see. It. I mean, maybe not all the time, but in your work, I see that uh, that thinking in how you're composing pieces as well. Mm -hmm. That's really, I love doing that. So I'm just, I'm right yeah. there with you. But here's what's interesting to me. I've never heard those terms before. So I'm learning all of this as you go along. That's the only thing I learned in college. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> learn anything in terms of taking college painting classes, but that was an art history class. Neoclassical period, Michelangelo's David was uh, Apollonian, uh the Baroque period follows and Bernini's David, very Dionysian, very active. And so that stuck with me. That's one of the little tidbits that I add to my repertoire. Well, that's a pretty good tidbit. I would say I'm going to use yeah, that. It's, it's valuable. Yeah. I've yeah. used it ever since. Well, it'll make me sound smart if nothing else. So okay. it, that's, that's really good. I like that. Boy. Yeah. That, and it's, you can see it in your work when you were describing what you, what you're doing. It's just everywhere in the, in the pieces that you create. It's just really wonderful. Um, you know, as we get ready to kind of close things up here, Greg, is there a passage of scripture that the Lord's been ministering to you about recently? Well, um, you know, recently I've just been kind of pondering and rejoicing in uh, all that God has done for us as we, you know, read the first five chapters of Romans, uh, 
you know, we find out that uh, all have sinned and fall short of his glory and the wages of sin is death and how badly we need a savior. And yet mm. Jesus did more than just save us. You know, Romans five, the first part of the chapter talks about not only did he give us justification as a gift through faith, but he also uh, gave us access into his very presence. Mm. And he also gives us peace. We have friendship with God. And we also, in view of, you know, his warnings about God's temporal wrath, you know, verses 1 through 18 through the rest of the chapter that can fall on Christians as well as non-Christians, he gives us hope that our persecution or our, our, our tribulation, I should say, is not wrath it's designed to help us grow and yeah. so even even the fact that we struggle is i guess you could call it a gift from god too so these amazing things that god has given us just beyond getting saved is so so cool and so that's that's been uh, an, an important element for me in terms of scripture i you know what you just shared there about the persecutions the trouble being a gift because of the growth that comes from it, it's so often it's it's so easy to just look at the that the trouble, the persecution, the the issues we're dealing with, and to just let that just overwhelm us and not see it as a gift. That perspective is really wonderful to have if we can just I mean, keep that I, at the I, forefront. I have it in head knowledge, but I'm a whiner. You know, I, I, I don't do well with persecution or, or, or tribulation, but I, I at least I know in head knowledge that that's where I'm supposed to get to in thinking. There you go. And that's what you want to grow towards. It gives you the focus. So uh, I think that's really a, a great, a great word there for sure. Uh, now, this is just kind of, I'm just kind of interested. Who from history would you like to have as a mentor, both in your art and your faith? Well, uh, yeah, in art, um, I, I just, I can't get over Howard Pyle. I just, mm. you know, and part of it's, you know, growing up and my dad and I would, we, he had this book on Howard Pyle and we'd just sit and drool over these pirate paintings and stuff. And, and just, just how the technique he used, the masterful design, um, you know, obviously he's an illustrator, but to me, he's one of the greatest fine artists this country's ever produced and and winslow homer um just uh just moves me emotionally and mm -hmm. so it would be fun to simply sit and listen to those guys um you know there's so many great artists i'm just picking two but uh and again the pick, picking two illustrators so but uh, you know i don't that i don't differentiate so um yeah. and then spiritually um you know, I think of the apostles and I'm reading first and second Peter right now. And he's so cool. I would just love to have sat under him and the apostle Paul and just to try to tap his mind a little bit because so much of what he says, I struggle with, um, mm. you know, there's modern preachers who I get a lot out of, uh, Tony Evans, um, and just, uh, his, his ministry to men, um, I think is very, very valuable, you know, and I know he's been through a lot of loss and speaks mm -hmm. from the heart and from knowledge. And, you know, I've always enjoyed the, the joy of and teachings of Chuck Swindoll. So, yeah, there's so many again. I mean, and, <laughs> and, and I, I, I tend to be a little bit picky. You know, as I said, this gift of teaching makes me ask, you know, where are you coming from with that teaching, blah, 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 you know. But uh, so just. 
those are some examples. Yeah, uh, those are great examples for sure. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being picky and asking those questions. That's really important stuff. So hey, what is a final word of encouragement you have for those that are listening? Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I guess it's just, um, especially for the young artists wondering, you know, a little bit struggling, I, you know, be, be honest with yourself, evaluate, you know, don't let your mommy tell you that you're great, but really evaluate, you know, whether you've been gifted, uh, whether you have the, the calling that Kurt has just, uh, been mentioning and, uh, Count the costs, you know, do you have opportunity along with the talent and the drive? And uh, when it gets tough, you know, don't quit. Don't give Mm. up. If this is where you're supposed to be, just understand that it's going to get tough. It's just part of the deal. And you're sensitive and it's going to hurt a lot. um, And it may take a long, long time. But if it's what you're supposed to do, don't quit. Just keep Mm. it going. Mm. That's Great. How can we pray for you, Greg? Just am 100% with God all the time, not just part of the time that uh, I truly love my wife as Christ loved the church and, uh, and not be as selfish as I am so often. That's Those are great. Okay. Now, disciples, we know how to pray. For you. How can we keep in touch with you, Greg? Uh, well, I've got my website that has my email, and I think it's got my phone number on it, so people can... Uh, it's it's gbeacham.work, and uh, they can look that up and uh, get in touch with, with me that way. Super. Okay. That's great. Well, Greg, thank you so much for spending time with us. What a treasure trove of wonderful insight you've given us. And I am just so thrilled so much. Well, thank you for thinking of me and getting a hold of me. Take care and God be with you, Kurt. You too. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And don't forget to share or to give a review or rate the show on your uh, favorite platform. Now, you can keep in touch with me on Instagram or on Gab at The Creator's Calling. The music on the podcast is by Chris Matson Worship, and you can follow him on Instagram and YouTube at Chris Matson Worship. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And please, Join me next time as together we follow Jesus and listen for the Creator's calling. Bye for now.